Good morning. Good morning. And grace and peace to you. Did you uh, listen to one another singing? Uh, you really inspired me this morning. That's what the scripture says, teaching and admonishing one another, right? And uh, you sang like you really believed it. And thank you for that. Uh, just to like to say a word. Uh, it was mentioned in the prayer about the decision of the Supreme Court. Uh, and we are rejoicing over that. I know that because of that, many more babies will be born, and we're thankful. But there's still work to be done, as we understand that that sends the uh, idea of abortion back to the states. And we have work to do because, you know, the question comes to mind, why are people seeking to abort their children? Why should they want to do that at all? Because that's life. And so we need to bring more people to understand what the scripture teaches about conception and life and the gift from God. That we will not be wanting to do these things, certainly just on demand. Uh, so uh, let's, let's remember that. Uh, there's still work to be done in that, in that area. Okay, let's turn to 2 Peter 3. We're going to get there in a moment. We talked about baptism last week, and we're going to continue that thought uh, today. Last week, we thought we studied about what baptism does, and I'm going to review that very quickly. Uh, Shirley reminded me, and she's my, my good right hand in a lot of these things, that I should have mentioned last week about the origin of the word baptism coming from the Greek baptizo. Uh, the word was transliterated by those uh, translators back in the day, if you will, especially with the King James Version. And uh, they did not translate it to me to be what it means to immerse, to dip, or to plunge under. And as I understand it, uh, that was because they had already gone to baptizing infants and just sprinkling water on them. And so for them to translate that into the right word to immerse would be to go against their practice at the time. So uh, we like to point that out and understand even as scripture teaches that baptism is an immersion, and we see that in particular in Romans chapter 6. But last week we looked at these thoughts. First of all, Paul placed baptism in the august company of six other things there in Ephesians chapter 4 for which they were to strive for unity. One, uh, one body, one spirit, one hope, one God, one one faith, one Lord. All these things pretty much Christians agree upon in Christendom. But he also put baptism in there. And so uh, I just encourage all those who are not really thinking that baptism is important to salvation or is important for us to agree upon as those who believe in Christ 
that Paul placed it there as something to strive for in the unity of all those who believe in Christ. We also noted that baptism proclaims the gospel and it demonstrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Baptism unites the believer with Christ in the likeness of his death and thus anticipating the likeness of his resurrection in that day to come. It does away with the body of flesh and ushers in the new creation, even as we just sang. It frees a person from sin. It places us into Christ where all the spiritual blessings reside. It builds on faith in Christ so that we can be now clothed with Christ. It brings about the forgiveness of sin. It opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come in and reside in the believer. And it is the culminating process of the preaching of the gospel of Christ. It's the correct response after faith and repentance. We've seen all these things in, in Scripture. But today, we want to talk about the fact that baptism does not do everything. No matter how extensive it is and what it does and the power of its working and placing us into Christ, and just what we saw, puts us in touch with the blood that forgives us of our sins. There are some things that baptism does not do, and we need to be aware of this. You know, we, uh, we work so hard, if you will, with the help of God and teaching people and trying to even get people's attention to sit down and study the Bible or even to listen to us present the gospel. You know, we're elated and thrilled when they say, oh, I believe and they want to be baptized into Christ. And then kind of we just let them go. They, they just slide off. And we, we can't do that. And, and that is really, in a sense, it's just, it's, a, it's another starting point for the person who is now in Christ. That baptism gets us there, but we're not finished. All right? So let's remember that. Uh, it does, baptism does not guarantee salvation. All right? Does not guarantee salvation. It's absolutely essential, but it's no guarantee. First of all, baptism does not eliminate the need for a changed life and growing in Christ. Let's look in 2 Peter 3.17. In fact, baptism opens the door for that. Because if you're not in Christ, you can't grow in Christ, right? Peter writes, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. And he's writing to Christians, those who've been baptized. All right? Beware. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And we see these kinds of commands throughout Scripture. In virtually every letter, there are words of encouragement about uh, go on to perfection and put this off and put this on and, and stop sinning and do this. And he's writing to people who are in Christ. He's not pe writing to people out in the world. And so this is something that, that begins after we 
excuse me, are baptized into the Lord Jesus. We are forgiven and freed from sin, and then we must start to be diligent to avoid further sin and to become Christ-like. Uh, these words of encouragement and admonition, like I said, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. So he says, grow in the grace and knowledge. That, that's what we need to start doing. Let's go to Romans 13. We should note there Peter's warning not to get carried away into error, and we're going to address that in a, in a little bit more depth later. Romans 13, 11, similar words from Paul. Do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Here I think Paul is either talking about Christ's return, which we're always to be looking for, or the fact that, you know, people are growing old and they're going to cross over at some point. So salvation is nearer one way or another for everybody, one day to the next day to the next week and so forth. So it's just kind of saying, be ready. And notice here he's got two, again, like, like uh, Peter said, beware of falling into error and grow in the grace and knowledge. Here he, Paul has the same two ideas, to put off certain things and to put on certain things. And again, he's writing to those who are baptized into Christ. He's kind of saying, make it happen. Spiritually speaking, that's what happened when you're baptized. You're cleansed, you're in Christ, and you're ready to go. So let's make it happen with the help of God, with the help of the Spirit. Put off the deeds of darkness, things that are evil. And he says, make no provision for the flesh. You know, we have to work, if you will, at growing in Christ. It's not automatic that when somebody is been baptized and comes out of the water, that their old passions and their desires are automatically gone. It just doesn't work that way. You know, if you had a, had a real passion for, uh, let's say, gambling and wasting your paycheck all the time uh, and not being able to support your family because of this habit, just because you're baptized into Christ doesn't mean that desire might not still be in your heart. So you're going to have to do some things to put that off, to fight against that. This is the kind of thing he's saying. Make no provision for the flesh. Get rid of those evil deeds. Put on that armor of light, okay? Yes, we are baptized into Christ, but okay, let's, let's start growing. Let's have that faith. Let's start listening to the Spirit. Let's start studying that word. What is it that God wants me to do? We've said over and over again, if we fill our lives up, and our, our minds up with the word of God and fill our hearts up and our lives with doing good, we won't have time, if you will, and we won't be wanting to think about evil. 
That, that's part of this whole process. Let's, let's get busy doing the will of God and these other things will fade away and God will help us put them away. The Holy Spirit is trying to shape us into the, the, uh, the image of Christ. We are and have become, if once we're baptized, the vessel that God is going to work on, the potter and the clay. And then he's going to start working on us to form us and shape us into the person that he wants us to be in Christ. This is what is basically happening here. And we have to be willing to cooperate. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It's a verse here that's uh, quite sobering. And again, it's written to Christians, those who are in Christ already. Hebrews 12 and 14, pursue peace with all men. Okay, that's conduct, get along peaceably. And the sanctification, uh, some translations have holiness. Okay, same idea, to be sanctified, set apart to, be, to God, to uh, be doing his will, to, again, avoiding the sin, pursue holiness be a holy person. Notice, without which no one will see the Lord. If we're not pursuing holiness and trying to be the person that God wants us to be, we're not making progress. And I know God will be the judge where, where that is along a certain continuum. I don't, we don't know where that is, but we're to be pursuing it and putting Christ in our life and doing his will. But if we're not, we're not going to see the Lord. In other words, we're going to lose it. We'll be lost. So there has to be this diligence, this desire to please the Lord and to, to be his person and to become the person that he wants us to be. And as we were talking in our Bible class this morning, God is for us in this. He wants us to do this. He's going to help us do it. As we've seen, we've got the word of God to show us the way. The Holy Spirit will empower us. We were talking about tapping into that power there in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1 and 2, uh, that he'll help us to do these things. Prayer. So if we're, we're diligent and apply ourselves, he's going to bless us to do this, to grow. But we have to, uh, to let him work in us. All right, so baptism does not eliminate that need to grow in Christ Jesus and become like him and to, have, uh, to seek to do his will. It does not eliminate that. In fact, that opens the door to do that. Okay, second point. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. In fact, our next two points are out of this reading. The first one is baptism does not keep us from sinning. Baptism does not keep us from sinning. 1 John chapter 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Once again, keep in mind he is writing to Christians those who have been baptized into Christ. 
But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, some very sobering words for us as Christians to understand that we do not reach perfection in this body, in this life, after we've been baptized into Christ. We do not achieve a sinless state. In fact, the way John is writing here is, you know, that we, we do sin, and probably pretty regularly. It might be things that we don't think of, not that we're out there, you know, shooting people or robbing people, but more along the line of being selfish, conceited, arrogant, uh, not helping people, uh, ignoring people's needs, you know, things like that. Falls under the category of love. We're not loving our neighbor, we're not loving God and doing his will, that kind of thing. We're still in the body of flesh and we are susceptible to temptation. We have to, with, with great effort, as we've seen, to resist these temptations and do what's right. However, as the scripture just said, we will sin. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that, our individual selves. We might even have to say, Lord, I don't know what it is, but point out my sin to me because I know I am not perfect. Help me to see, see my weaknesses, my failings. And this takes humility. It does. We have to humble ourselves and acknowledge that only Jesus Christ was a perfect human being. And we're not, even on this side of baptism, we're not. So we have to acknowledge that in ourselves. We have to acknowledge that with our children. No matter how cute they are or how nice they are, or, you know, after they're baptized into Christ, these are my kids. They are not without sin. Okay? We have to acknowledge that. And we have to, to deal with that. Church leaders, you know, we, we don't like to see problems in the congregation. The fewer the better. But they're going to happen. Things are going to pop up. All right? Between husbands and wives, this might be one of the worst places because you're always together, always, you know, this and that, saying things you shouldn't or whatever, and acknowledge it with your friends. And then the fact that we acknowledge that, we have to deal with it in the right way, learn to deal with that in the right way. I don't have time to talk about that today, but it involves humbling ourselves acknowledging our sin, confessing it, and seeking reconciliation. That's the way of Christ. We just have to do that. 
In regard to this, my third point in conjunction with the previous thought, baptism does not eliminate the need for us to confess our sins to God. What does it say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. You know, we have some wonderful prayers offered in the congregation. I appreciate all the hearts and, and minds and souls of you brothers who offer the prayers. But it seems to me like we don't, we don't confess enough that we are sinners and ask God's forgiveness. We need to do that. I need to do that individual basis at home but with God. We also need to do that as a congregation. He said, if we confess, you know, what if we don't confess? What if we don't acknowledge our sins? What if we don't acknowledge that we still need the blood of Christ? Apparently, we're not going to be forgiven for those sins we've committed. So we need to acknowledge our sin. We're going to sin. We need to acknowledge them, and we need to confess them and still seek the blood of Christ, the forgiveness that comes through him. That's the only way we're going to be forgiven. In other words, don't tell God you don't have any sin. Don't do that. Confess your sins. Be, be honest with yourself in the light of Scripture. And sometimes that's hard to do. But you have to be. If we want to grow, and you know, going back to the first point, if we want to grow in Christ, we have to acknowledge our weaknesses and failures so we can, we can work on them and put them aside with God's help. Okay. Our last thought kind of builds on that one. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Baptism does not keep one from falling from grace. I know this is a point that is debated among those who believe in Christ. But I think we're going to see from the scriptures we offer that a person can lose their salvation. They may be in Christ, have been baptized into Christ, but if they don't progress, if they continue to sin, they can fall away. Galatians 5.3 And I testify again to everyone who receives circumcision, he's under obligation to keep the whole law. That was Paul's argument here. Uh, there were those uh, in the church who were saying that the Gentiles had to keep part of the law, in particular circumcision, but some other things. Paul's argument is, no, that's not right. Uh, that is not Christ. Because then he goes on to say, you have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Now, I think it's quite plain here. You know, this is, this is the apostle, very knowledgeable in the word of God. He is an inspired man by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth. If he's saying you've been severed from Christ, that has to tell me that they were in Christ to begin with. You can't be severed from something that you were not in. Does that not make sense? I would think so. And 
and if you were not in grace already, how could you fall from it? Does that not make sense? Is that not what the, the words say? Words have meaning. You can't fall from something that you're not there. If you're not up in the tree, you can't fall from the tree, right? If you're not in grace, you can't fall from it. It's a stern warning. Of course, in his discussion, it's about law and grace, but still, we can fall from grace. We can fall from the grace of Christ. Second Peter 2. Peter paints a... Uh, ugly picture here. Verse 20. Speaking of those who have been baptized into Christ. Those who have come to Christ. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Alright? They have escaped. They know Christ. They are in Christ. All right? That's what he says. If they've done that, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. That's what's happened. Fall from grace, severed from Christ. These have become entangled in the world again. They were in Christ and now they're entangled in the world again and overcome again by the ways of the world, by sin. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Kind of like we were talking in Bible class this morning about today's age. Back in the day, back in the time of Rome, their, their sins were as bad as ours, but they didn't have the word of God complete. But today we have the word of God complete for people to know what is true, what is right, what is righteous. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Evidently they knew it than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment and hand it on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Terrible picture. But you see, it's possible. These are, these are warnings for us that we need to grow and make progress with the help of God to become Christ-like. That's all this is. And, you know, there's various uh, examples given in Scripture where Paul talks about, well, this, this person has forsaken me. He's gone back to the world. Uh, that it did happen. Right there in the first century, right when the gospel was being spread initially. It's possible. Go to James 5 to close out, but there is hope. There is hope. I love these two verses in James. When we talk about this, we know that some of us have been here. We have wandered away from Christ. Some of us have, I know. I was away from Christ for a while. It can happen. Some of us have spouses that have wandered away from Christ. Some of us have children who have wandered away from Christ. 
good friends that have wandered away from Christ. But there's hope. There's hope. God hasn't given up. What does James say in James 5.19? My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, there we go. That's the same idea. They've wandered off into lies and fables and the ways of the world. And one turns him back. There it is. They can be turned back. Don't give up. They can return. That, that's, that's great hope. The power of God. The, still the power of the cross is there. It's still there. Forgiveness is still possible. Look at the verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. He's talking about one who has wandered from the truth. He's talking about a Christian who has gone back to the world. That's what he's talking about. We can get caught up in the errors of the world because we haven't progressed or something gets a hold of us. The devil's always at work, as we say, trying to, to get us to believe something that's, that's not true. Once again, the need to know this word. Anyway, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will what? Will save his soul from death. Praise God. You will save him. He will be saved. And will cover a multitude of sins. You know, you get, bring somebody back to Christ. That's what we were talking about in the first point. Put off the ways of the flesh and the ways of the world and start living the right way. And this person will not commit all those sins. But that's a word of hope. He can turn a sinner from the error of his way. Even after he's been in Christ, he's gone back. They can be returned to Christ. The soul was saved from death, eternal death. God is gracious. And there's, uh, there's a work to be done in this area. You know, sometimes we want to focus on taking the gospel out into the communities and, you know, wherever we are, which we should be doing. But there are many whom we know were in Christ and they have slipped away. These are two verses we need to remember. There's an area of ministry here for us to go seek those who have wandered off and to turn them back to the Lord Jesus. Baptism is essential for salvation, but it doesn't do it all. And we need to be careful to heed the words of the Holy Spirit and the writers of the New Testament. Have you been immersed into Christ? God bless you. Keep growing in the Lord. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you wandered away? God is waiting. He is still merciful, and he's pleading with you to come back. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. For more from Jeff Kent and the Shadyside Church of Christ, please go to our website at cofcshadyside.com. 
There you can access our entire library of Sunday Church lessons and Jeff's weekly blog. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Shadyside Church of Christ. Remember, all are welcome. Thanks again. Have a blessed week.